everyone, and welcome to our work-minded season on managing change. Today, we'll focus on changing our work. How does an increasing focus on virtual collaboration impact our ability to create connections, to recognize effort, and to focus our attention? Our guest is Christopher Littlefield, an international and TEDx speaker specializing in employee appreciation, recognition, and workplace culture. He's the founder of Beyond Thank You and has trained thousands of leaders across six continents on how to understand what their people want and need to be at their best. Chris is a regular contributor to Forbes and Harvard Business Review. He's also the author of the best-selling book, 75 Plus Team Building Activities for Remote Teams, Simple Ways to Build Trust, Strengthen Communications, and Laugh Together from Afar. The book is available on Amazon and is so relevant to what many people are experiencing, both at work and in their personal lives. So Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to Happy the show. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in remote teams and what led you to create the book? I so I've been actually ironically I've been working remotely for the last decade. So I was working in Boston and then my wife got her dream job at the UN. We moved to Beirut, Lebanon, and I worked remotely for a company in Boston for three years while I was kind of launching my own business while we were over there. And then moved to Santiago, Chile, and I've been here for six years. So for the last decade, I've actually been working and running my business with clients mostly in the United States and then other places around the world remotely. So it's something I've just been doing, and that's just a context that I've been working in. So when the pandemic hit, you know, most of my work is training people in the art of day-to-day recognition and feedback and how to nurture environments where people feel valued and appreciated every day. And it's also about giving people tools to be able to do that. And so when this the pandemic hit in the first couple of weeks, and it kind of looked like this was not going to go away sometime soon, I started having people reach out to me and say, hey, what can I do with my, with my team? What can I do, you know, with my people? And so I've been a facilitator in one form or another for about the last probably 20 years. And so when this came on, I was just sitting and I wrote up a quick kind of um, you know list of activities and ideas for my mailing the nudge that goes out every two weeks. And so I did it and there were so many people that were passing around sharing with each other. So I was like, well, I wonder if I could do a book around this. And so I just kind of like sat down and I wrote and I was like, okay, let's think about all the activities, your camp counts or what could be done remotely. And then I just took op- opened an Excel spreadsheet and just listed games, activities, all the things that I've been using facilitating groups over the last 20 years. I wrote them all down. Then I called up a camp counselor friend. And I was like, give me three more ideas. Give me four more ideas. And by the end, I was trying to get to 101 activities. And then I had two conversations where one, after I got past like 80, they were, the quality was getting down and it's like, okay, what's the point of even doing this? And then I also talked to a friend who is a project manager or capital one. He goes, truth. He's like, I don't want that many to choose from. He's like, my job is hard enough already. I need less things to choose from. I just need the ones that are going to be really useful. So basically after that, I, you know, I sat down, I wrote it, I gave myself about a month and a half and I just locked myself uh, in the room, you know, in my office from basically nine until two o'clock in the morning for about three or four weeks, because I have a four-year-old at home. So there's no working and writing during the day and basically got that done and just knocked it out and self-published it on Amazon. And it's just done. It's done really well. And, you know, I've 
end up being a source of information and activities around just helping people figure out how to make all these virtual interactions just a little less awkward and a little more meaningful. That's fantastic. And hearing you talk about all this different type of experience in your background, can you talk a little bit about how you've seen different organizations approach managing their remote teams and working virtually? I, I think that it almost falls into two different schools of thought. There's the ones who are there to serve their people, who know that they don't know what's going on, but keep on giving people because there's so much uncertainty right now, right? And there's there's so much uncertainty. And I think you've talked about in some of your other shows about the impact of uncertainty or ambiguity in in our life, right? And that 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 uncertainty and that stress is what's causing, you know, so much of the mental health issues that we're that we're dealing with now. I don't know if you saw it was earlier this year. There was I think Qualtrics and SAP. This was in the Harvard Business Review article I saw. And they surveyed people and it was like 75% people were more socially isolated, had higher levels of stress, 57% greater anxiety. And the outcome of that is the uncertainty that people are facing, right? Like uncertainty is exciting for TV, but it's not exciting when it's in our life. And so I think there's been one school of companies that realize that and understand that in order for parents and, you know, parents or anybody, truthfully, to be able to do their work, they need to remove as much uncertainty as possible. Like you're not going to lose your job or we're not going to return to the office until December. So we can at least let you plan for the next eight months because, hey, you're at home in, you know, I have a friend who's in Washington, D.C. with two kids under five years old in a two bedroom apartment with one bathroom. It's not workable with two working adults so that they could at least plan and move or rent something somewhere else. So they could do that. And so there's that one school of companies that is actually keeping, you know, their employee experience at the heart of what they're doing, saying, hey, we want to take care of our people. So here's what we're going to do. And then there's the other ones who are who started out saying we don't trust our people. And so we're going to make you check in every five minutes and you need to be online from 8 a.m. to this time. So we know that you're actually working during this time that backfired. And now they've got to dig out of the mess that they created in the beginning. And so I think you have those two different schools of the ones who are already putting that that had that valued employee mindset, as I call it, that, that the heart of their success as an organization is their employees being successful at work and home. And those other ones saying, you know, you're you're lucky to work here and you better do your job because we don't trust you. And those two different mindsets right now, everyone's. I think starting to realize that they have to shift and we can't keep on saying, we're going to go back next week. We're going to go back next week because that just perpetuates the stress and the uncertainty and is what's burning people out a lot of the time. I hope that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And I'm hearing you mention a lot about the employee experience. So going through trust, going through times of uncertainty, how do you think specifically employee recognition and gratitude for a job well done is tying into this new experience of working virtually for so many people? So one of the things for me, you know, I have a company called Beyond Thank You, it was Acknowledgement Works before. And one of my missions is transforming people, how people think of recognition in the first place. So many people, you know, collapse reward and award with recognition, right? And so when I think of recognition, I actually break it down into several different components. You have appreciating the person, right? And that's those day-to-day things where I signal that, hey, um, I value you. I value, I appreciate you showing up. I get that you're dealing with a lot of crap at home and you're coming in. There's acknowledging the circumstances, 
right? Which, you know, specifically what I just said right there, like acknowledging the fact that, hey, you're working with everything else going on. You know, there's a BBC um, article in the BBC I read yesterday, I think it was quoting the Boston Consulting Group. On average, uh, parents had 27 extra hours of work a week doing chores and taking care of kids in homeschool. It's almost a second full-time job, right? And understanding and acknowledging that cert- those circumstances, acknowledging the uncertainty, acknowledging when there's layoffs in the organization, and then you have recognizing effort, right? Which is not necessarily, many times people think that we're only going to recognize when people produce a result, but there's recognizing effort, which is showing people that we see what they're doing. And it may not be extraordinary that they got the report done. But getting that report done with two kids that you're homeschooling at the same time and trying to stay sane, that's freaking massive, right? And then you have reward and award. And so when I talk a recognition, that's what I'm actually talking about. And in this context, I would focus mostly on the appreciation and the acknowledgement part. You know, I did an article earlier this year that's in Harvard Business Review about how to be an empathetic um, remote coworker. And the number one thing in there is flexibility and understanding. Like if we want to show people we appreciate them, we have to keep on checking in and showing that, hey, you know what? Things seem to like normalize. We're getting used to this. No, this is not normal, right? We're not leading remote teams. We're leading remote teams in a pandemic. And because we're in a pandemic, we're dealing with a whole level of uncertainty. So we have to be checking in each day. And if we want to appreciate, we want to recognize, be grateful for our people, we have to stay present to what they're dealing with in between when the camera's on and off, right? And so that plays a huge role. And that's that, you know, in the manager's hands, in the senior leadership's hands, in the organization's hands, if they want to maintain a positive employee experience and high levels of engagement, they have to be checking in regularly because everyone's life is changing so rapidly right now. Absolutely. And hearing you frame it in that way, so calling out specifically, we have our professional lives and then we also have our personal lives. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any concerns or challenges around how working virtually could be blurring these lines between our personal and professional lives? Completely. I mean, you're, you're, you're at work with your family. If we, if we could actually get things done with our kids around us, then we every day would be bring your kids to work day, right? You have like dog day and then kid day. Like it's, that would be normal. And the truth is we can't, you can't manage two things at once at the same time. It's really hard to remember what other people are dealing with when we don't see them, right? So when we're in this virtual environment, we don't see those reactions. We don't see some of those physical cues in 2D that we do in 3D. We don't see someone's body posture necessarily when they're just sitting on camera. We don't see their physical reactions. We don't see their facial expressions all the time unless we're looking at their camera specifically, right? We don't hear necessarily their tone if they're on mute. We don't hear their sighs. So those cues that remind us that they may be frustrated, that something may be off, right? We don't get those in the virtual environment. And so I think that it's really hard to stay empathetic for other people when you're struggling in your own reality. And so that's why it's so important for people to be doing pulse checks, to be checking in with people regularly because, hey, you know, I have a coaching client of mine and and this this is such a visceral um, example that it just, it sticks out to me, but we're talking one week and if somebody works for a UN agency in, in, um, in Southeast Asia and, you know, one day, you know, they're dealing with a pandemic, she's dealing with work and we talk a week later and her father passed away. 
right? And she couldn't get there. She couldn't be with him. And to think about all of that, you're dealing with work and you may be, you know, could be a person who's available 24 hours a day at one point. And now you can't be. And I think the lines get blurred because we don't see there are lines and when we can work and when we can't work and how much work we can get done and can't get done. I think we don't see that the same way. It was always an issue before, but you had support systems that would allow you to be like, hey, you know what, if I needed to ask the babysitter stay an hour later, or if I need to stay in the office later, it was less obvious where now we don't see the struggle that's going on. And I think that's why we need to be asking people, like one of my favorite questions when I get on a call with somebody or run out virtual training is what were you doing five minutes before? Because when we ask people, what were you doing five minutes before? It has us here. Like I was just giving my kids lunch. I was just finishing up homeschool. I was hiding stuff under my desk. So my office didn't look so messy, right? When we ask that question, it gets us present to the world that they were dealing with right before the call. And it triggers that empathy in us as the other in that interaction. I'm also seeing these types of challenges around empathy and especially around um, what's vying for our attention and what we have the Mm -hmm. ability to pay attention to while so many things are happening around us. I know we've seen an increasing trend from working virtually of social media type tools in the workplace. So things like Slack and Yammer. I'm wondering if you can talk specifically about the role of those kinds of tools in the workplace and also just in the employee experience in general. Before we were chatting today, we were talking about watching The Social Dilemma. And you have all these people in these tech firms, right, that are buying for your attention. What they're doing is they're selling your attention to other people. And so these tools, I think, are phenomenal. And it's just like, you know, I always, when I run workshops that were in person, you know, I would always start by having people take out their phones and put them on silent. And I say that, you know, I love my phone because when I was traveling, I could see my daughter. You know, wherever I was in the world, I could see my daughter, I could have breakfast with her. She doesn't know what it is to be in a call where you can't see the person on the other side. But it's also that same phone, that little buzz in my pocket that goes off when I'm sitting with her, when I'm tired, when I don't want to be doing homeschool, I am looking at my phone opposed to being with her. And I think that same thing applies for any one of these platforms. They are the tools that allow us to stay connected They're the ways that I can sit on WhatsApp with my two best friends from college. We're going to talk on Saturday night and have a beer together and just laugh. And those tools, I think, are what allow us to stay connected. But they also end up being a distraction because they're beeping and they're buzzing at us all the time. So I think things like Slack, you have the ability to have a a Slack channel around, you know, Halloween costumes coming up or, you know, around kitten posts or hey, what did you? What are the fun things you've cooked this week? I think these tools are great to create community. Um, I think we just also need to remember that we also need to turn them off sometimes. There's Zoom, there's WhatsApp, there's Slack, there's uh, Facebook workplaces. Like, I think these are amazing tools. I think we need to schedule when we're going to use them and we need to think about what we're using each one of them for. You know, because our relationships have changed because our whole relationship now is filtered through a platform, right? There is no relationship that happens face-to-face anymore, or rarely it's face-to-face. So our the whole everything that bolstered our relationships, those informal run-ins um, that happened in the workplace prior, where you know I run into Shannon, you know, as we're walking in from our cars, and it'd be like, hey, how was your weekend? How are you doing? And we may end up at the at the coffee machine or the refrigerator getting our lunches at the same time or walking to and from a meeting. That's where our relationships were built. That's where plans were made. That's where you learned about people's kids, where 
now we turn on, we turn off, or we're sharing all the time. And so I think finding what is that right balance, but always being aware that there needs to be a balance. We need to schedule those informal interactions that built our relationships. And so those need to be there. And we can use Slack for that. We can use the first five minutes of our Zoom call to be able to do that versus five minutes of our Teams meeting. We can do things in those interactions to recreate, consciously recreate those informal bump-ins that we had in the office. And then we also need to remember that we need to turn the friggin' things off too, because if we, if it's constantly flowing in, then we have no headspace to do anything else. And I think then we get mental indigestion. Thinking about all of the things we've been talking about in this episode, and especially what you just mentioned about balance, have mm -hmm. you noticed any shifts or themes in the past few months that might give us some kind of idea of what to expect from work in the future? I think that we're going to be in this for a long time. If I look at the reality of what people have been sharing, you know, if I look at the pharmaceutical company's reaction when they said we're going to have a we're going to have a vaccine by November, right? And everyone said, hey, we're not going to push science. And the reality is, I don't think we're going to have a vaccine until probably next summer is what people are kind of estimating. And we don't know how effective that's going to be. And even when it's rolled out, it doesn't mean people start going to get get sick. So I think that. We are going to have, we are going to be inside this context for probably through the end of next year. And then after that, there's going to be a lot of, you know, post-pandemic uh, PTSD, right? I, I know there's going to be a lot of people. When are you going to shake hands with people again? Where are you going to be comfortable to hug people again? And so I think that this is, and I think inside this context, there's, there's dealing around the pandemic, but then there's also the, the shift in mentality that. And the training, the whole world was trained how to interact via video. I think for the first time in 10 years, my mom has figured out how to hold the camera without her thumb over the, over, the, over the actual video because she's been doing it so often. Everybody knows how to get on a video call now. They know how to, you know, in the most part, you know, are virtually self-aware to some extent and know how to position their camera right. They know how to get their sound right to some extent. Not everybody. So I think that now that we know how to do this and everybody's trained to do this, I think that there's going to be less in-person meetings um, and more kind of virtual meetings, I think, going forward. So I think we can plan on that being there. And then given that, we're going to, people are going to need to develop a new skill set, which is building and maintaining relationships remotely right? Of how do I nurture? How do I create that connection? Which before that was just the project managers who had teams on three different continents, right? And the people who are co-located didn't have to do that. Where now I think that's going to be a skill set. And that's going to take a lot, 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 lot more conscious effort to do that. And you cannot just say, hey, oh, okay, now you work for me. Great. Let's jump into the work. We have to be consciously building relationships at the same time as we're doing the work. That's fantastic. And as we go into this new approach for the future, do you have any suggestions for additional resources or maybe ways that people can get in touch with you after the episode? Yeah. So, I mean, I wrote the, in the beginning of the, in the 
pandemic, I published my book. It's called 75 Team Building Activities for Remote Teens, Simple Ways to Build Trust, Strengthen Communication, and Laugh Together from Afar. And that you can find that on Amazon. There's a, just a, a Kindle version of right now. And about the next three weeks, there should be a paperback version up. I'm still trying to carve out the time in my life to be able to get that up there. And so that's one resource. And then inside the book and on my website at beyondthankyou.com, you can sign up for my newsletter, The Nudge. And then there's also several resources of how to build uh, emotional safety on your team and a quick self-assessment. And that has recommendations on where to start based on your score. Um, and then how to nurture culture appreciation. And I have those resources all up on my site. You can also go on to, I write about working remotely and uh, appreciation, recognition, and workplace culture. I write for Forbes and I write for Harvard Business Review. And so if you just search uh, Littlefield or Chris, Christopher Littlefield on Harvard Business Review or on Forbes, um, all those articles will come up. And so I'm every, you know, but I post probably about two articles a month on Forbes. And I just did one on how to run um, a team retreat and how to plan one in about an hour. And if you go to the nudge on my site, you'll find uh, a past uh, mailing that I did that had information about that. And then a handout that, to download how to actually plan out a virtual team retreat. And then all the activities are included in the book. And so I'm, I'm constantly collecting and developing and sharing ideas because I just, I'm a strong believer that it's not that people don't want to take action. It's that they're uncomfortable to do it. And they don't know what to do or where to start. And so my goal is to always remove that barrier taking action by just saying, hey, here's two things you can try right now. Which one are you going to choose? And then have people take that one action. Because when we take that one action and we see that it worked, we're most likely to take another action next time. And when we realize that all I need to do is invest five minutes in the beginning of my meeting to start with a welcome question or to do a quick pulse check or to play a quick game and I realize that that makes a difference and people walk away having enjoyed the virtual interaction, feeling more connected to people, then I'm most likely to keep on doing that. And I think that if we're going to take care of people inside this crisis, we've got to create moments where people are smiling. And, and you can probably speak to this better than I can, but you cannot be um, grateful and pissed off at the same time. They're conflicting emotions. We can't be, we can't be proud right? And angry at the same time. And so these motions, these motions are conflicting. And so when managers take a few minutes just to trigger that gratitude, to trigger that laughter, to trigger that fun, to trigger that parasympathetic nervous system and rest and recover, it takes care of themselves and takes care of their team as well. Awesome. That is such a positive note to end on. And this has been such a great conversation. I really want to thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy to have you. It was great to be here. Thanks for the uh, invitation and thanks for thinking of me and inviting me on your show today. Thanks for joining us for this episode to talk about changing our work. For more resources on mindfulness and change management, visit our website at www.workminded.net. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next episode will include a special mindfulness session specifically designed to help you manage change in your life, so be sure to join us. We'll see you then. <laughs>